Dear Father, I appreciate you giving me the privilege to approach your presence this morning. And this song that we are singing, Lord, is an indication of the reality of how much we need more of your spirit and more of your presence in our lives. Today, Lord, as we enter into this service, we want to remember all your children that need more of you. Those that need a physical healing, Lord, we pray that you'll reach out into their lives, encourage their hearts, strengthen their faith, and heal their bodies. Lord, if this is your will, and if this is not your will to heal their bodies, Father, we pray that you'll strengthen their faith, that their faith would not fail during this time of trial and chastening in their lives. Lord, whatever is happening to your people, Father, here in North America or around the world, we pray that you'll reach on in and touch them. Today, once again, Lord, remember the work of God in Africa. Remember the work of God in India. Lord, in the United States and in Canada, in the Caribbean. And wherever this gospel is being preached, Father, we pray that you'll raise up men. And give them more of your spirit and more of your mindset. That, Lord, we'll develop the mind of our Lord Jesus. We'll be able to judge and think like he does, Father, so we can walk in his steps and be able to reach to that place of maturity. Touch our lives, Father. Touch your people and heal us not only physically, but we pray that you'll heal our lives spiritually. Where there's spiritual, there is spiritual lacking in the lives of your people, Father. I pray that today you'll reach out into their lives and heal us. Heal us from spiritual captivity, Father, and bring us back into your very presence, we ask. Father, in Jesus' name, we commit your work. We commit those present in the service here this morning that you'll bless them for the effort they're making and the sacrifice they've made to be here and to be present in this service. We pray, O oh God, that you'll strengthen their faith also. Bless the rest of this service, we pray, Father. And help us, we ask in Jesus' wonderful name and for his sake. Well, it's a privilege for me to speak to you again. I think I'll probably choose that on Sundays um, for a while I'll let maybe Brother Joe say something uh, tomorrow and then Brother Sam will follow that. But I've been preaching for over, um, during this pandemic, I've been preaching every service almost uh, for uh, many, many services and we have in storage and on the internet messages saved. Uh, Paul, in writing to his, uh, the church at Ephesus, uh, not writing to the church at Ephesus, when Paul was exiled from Ephesus and uh, he was not allowed back in the city, in the 20th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And Paul had been in this city for a little over three years in Ephesus, over three years. And he was a preacher that was not Dale Carnegie-styled the preacher. 
He didn't preach according to the people's desires or to entertain the people with flowery words. As a matter of fact, before we look at Exodus, uh, Acts, the 20th chapter, here is what he said in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. He made a statement like this. In chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul said, he said when he's writing to the church at Corinth, he says, um, and brethren, chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, when I came to you, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony or the mystery of God. That the margin has, instead of testimony, it has mystery of God. In other words, Paul, a learned man, educated in the thing in the Old Testament scriptures, and a trained at the feet of a man whose name was, I think, Gamaliel. Uh, he was respected among the Pharisees. He called himself a, a self a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And he had excellent speech. He had all the mechanics you can think of that he would get up and words were not lacking for him to deliver a message to the people. But the longer Paul lived is the more Paul realized it's not excellency of human wisdom or human knowledge. As Zechariah says, it's not by might, that is human might, nor by power, that is human power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And that is why this apostle, he had learned the hard lessons of giving up uh, what the world had trained him to do and take on the spirit of our Lord Jesus. And so when he's writing to the church at Corinth, a church that he started and a church that deteriorated and was in the process of backsliding, he's writing to see whether he can salvage this church. I said before a few times, as a matter of fact, many a times uh, during this pandemic season, that Paul, we do not have one single message that Paul preached to build the church at Corinth. We don't have any message he preached to build the churches of Galatia. We don't have any message he preached to build the church at Philippi or any one of these at Thessalonican uh, church. We don't have that. We have corrective letters that Paul is sending to encourage some churches and to correct some churches. And that's what theologian to, to, theologians today are using to study to build the churches Paul built. It's impossible. You can't study his corrective letters and build the kind of churches he built. Uh, you're looking at corrective letters and letters of exhortation. But when Paul was at Corinth, he spent time and laid a foundation in that assembly. And it is important if we are to follow the principle that the Apostle Paul worked with, then we must find the proper foundation. Also, hold your finger in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians and slip over to chapter 3 here. And in verse 10, he said, according not to Paul's wisdom, not to the theological understanding he had from a university somewhere, he said, according to the grace of God, 
Grace of God means the unmerited favor of God. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm dumb in myself had it not been for God's goodness. He says, according to the grace of God which is given unto me, that's what made me a wise master builder. He was a builder of a spiritual work. He says, I became a wise, not wise with the wisdom of men. Uh, Paul condemned the wisdom of men when it is, was used to build the work of God. Uh, I think here, right here in, in chapter 1, uh, we're playing around in the book of uh, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, he says, at, it, at verse 19, he says, verse 18, I can back up there so much, verse 17. Uh, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, Christ sent me not to baptize. Paul is telling these people, and they knew that, but they were backsliding. You see, I pastor a church here in Mississauga, and there are individuals that when you first met me, you felt you met a man of God that had the Word of God. But as you stayed longer and get to know my humanity, you lost your vision. Some of us, we have lost our vision. We have lost our commitment, and we have lost our dedication to the work of God. It is sad. If you have gone like the church in Corinth at the, or the churches of Galatia. You know, when the pandemic started, I remember people says, Oh, Brother Singh, I, am, I, I can't wait to get back to church. Well, what happened? One year is gone, and I'm looking at a church on Saturday morning, and nobody can sacrifice their time to come. But I'm thinking that in a case like taking your words when the pandemic started, uh, we have had people who have to sit, sit in the overflow because we can't keep so many people in the congregation. No, I came this morning and I didn't tell Sister Chantry, but when we pull up in the parking lot, uh, 10 minutes after 9 o'clock, uh, the parking lot was full, right? No, it was not. It was empty. Not a single soul, but Brother Sinbad and Sister Pam already took the subway and they got here. It would be nice if uh, I'm thinking it would be nice before I die that I can have a staff of men that are there to lift my hands in the midst of a crisis. But the society we're living in today, I have to lift the hands of men rather than them lifting my hands. Uh, woe unto you that fall in that category. And so uh, looking back at when this pandemic started or when you started serving the Lord, you thought there was nothing better that you met in this world than meeting me. But as you start to uh, get some moves and some grooves and, and some little knowledge of the scripture, you felt you could teach the teacher. Listen, I'm an old stubborn ox. Nobody teaches me anything but patience. I'm here because God has called me not to listen to your suggestion. And that is why it is so important uh, that you, you, you keep your mouth uh, sealed and only open it when God give you utterance. It is good. Because a pastor is raised up and people that stand around him should learn to like him. Like what he likes and hate what he hates. In the Lord. You have to learn to develop that. If you know that I like things a certain way, then try to confirm that because I'm the one that the Lord has touched and my mind is what has the mind of Christ to a great extent 
And that is what you should latch on to. Don't try to change me. And so this was the problem here because human wisdom was coming in and someone's got a degree and someone's got a, a certificate or you're a manager for some big organization out there. When you hit the church door that I pastor, you're just like everybody else coming in that needs salvation. You could be the president of the United States. When you hit that church door, you need Christ in your life. Just like the beggar that hits the door, he needs Christ in his life. Of course, I'll treat the president like a president, but I'll not treat a beggar like a beggar. Uh, because we are here to be saved. And my job is to preach a gospel to save not only you, but also save me in the process. And save my family and save my friends in the process. And I've learned when I was growing up, and maybe that's why God chose me to preach the gospel. I've learned to respect men of God. My pastor never washed his car. Every Saturday, I'll go and wash his car. Every Saturday. I was a little boy. But I'd ride down, take my bicycle, and go to a place called Rose Hall and find him there. Uh, upstairs, they had a mission home. Upstairs, a lemonade factory. I'll go grab his keys and wash his car. At that time, I remember he drove a car called a Woolsley. I saw that name recently, a Woolsley. And I learned to be a servant to a man of God. When he needed anything done, I'd run and get it done. That's how I learned servanthood. I was like Timothy. I was like Elijah that followed Elijah and wanted just to be a servant to him. And that is why God bypassed the big boys in the days of Moses the 70 elders were overlooked, and God chose a servant boy to Moses called Joshua. God bypassed the sons of the prophets that, that were at the school of Bethel and the school of uh, Jericho. Uh, the sons of the prophets that understood the times, God bypassed them and chose a servant boy called Elisha that poured water on the prophet's hand. God does that. God bypassed all the big fish in every dispensation and chose men that were servants to other men of God. And so today I look at the world and it's a different age altogether. But your dedication to God and your belief in what I do is determining your salvation. Uh, don't do something to bring a reproach to my credibility. I try to have, maintain a good credibility and if you are, uh, doing things that will bring a reproach to my credibility, then you need to change. Don't be a disgrace to what I do. I'm a pastor, and I try my best to shine lights, uh, light in the community I live in. And so the wisdom of this world can be your ruin. Uh, the wisdom of this world can be so deep-seated in your life, whether it's religious wisdom or academic wisdom, it could be your destruction, your own stumbling block that, you, that destroys you. I need a scripture. Uh, the elders uh, carry their own stumbling block. Uh, there's a beautiful scripture I'm, I'm trying to find here. It's uh, maybe Ezekiel, Isaiah. It's a beautiful scripture that I'd like to use at this point in time. Until someone finds it, it carries the elders of Israel, carry the, their own stumbling block, uh, the scripture says. Uh, let's see here, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 
chapter 14. Uh, let's see if that's what I want. Uh, thank you, Sister Indira. Exactly. Ezekiel chapter 14. Then came certain of the elders of Israel unto me and sat before me. Here is a prophet. His name is Ezekiel. And the prophets back there were not cowboys. They were not little, uh, little playboys in the pulpit. When you saw a prophet, you saw a man that was serious. And he preached a serious gospel. No prophet I know of had a social class uh, for the people. The prophets had a message straight from God. And when God sent a message with a prophet, it was not to butter them up. Uh, we have preachers that are very sincere and would like to educate you in the scriptures. I would like to illuminate your mind that you can change your life. Amen. You might not be able to quote a single scripture from the Bible, but if you can walk in light, that is more important than having a, a degree in theology. Amen. Live. Ology is what I want you to have. I just made that word. That's a good word. Liveology. Uh, and so uh, here it says they came to uh, the prophets and sat before him, uh, the prophet Ezekiel. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, these men, the Lord is talking to Ezekiel and all the elders are sitting there. And the Lord says, these men, these elders have set up their idols. These, can you believe that, that the elders in Israel had idols? But you see, the idols, literal idols, is not as dangerous as idols of the heart. Idols of the heart will destroy you without you building an, a single idol uh, of wood or stone. And it says they've set up their idols in their hearts. And some individuals set their idols up that they worship themselves. Now I know I've got your finger in Ezekiel. I've got your finger in Acts. I've got your finger in 1 Corinthians, and I'm turning all the way back. Don't lose any one of these scriptures. I'm turning all the way back to Timothy. And Timothy writes about this spirit uh, that will be uh, uh, pre uh, prevalent in these uh, last days. In chapter 2 Timothy, in chapter 3, he says, perilous times shall come. He says, in the last days, our days, I'm telling you, and the last days of the early church, he said, perilous times shall come, uh, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. When a man loves his own self, he has set his own self as his own idol. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's uh, I don't know what you call it, humanism, where you worship yourself, where you set yourself up as your own little God, uh, that you are more important than what you think is more important. Anyone that thinks they're more important than anything else would not be in the bride of Christ. You will not be in the bride of Christ. If you fast 40 days and you pray every day, six hours every day, and you still put yourself up on the highest pedestal in your life, you will not be in the bride of Christ. We'll talk a little bit about the bride of Christ here today before I'm done. But Paul says... Uh, what, what brings perilous times in the work of God? What, will bring, what brought perilous times in the days of the early church? What will bring perilous times in our day? Same spirit. Same devil we got. Different methods. Uh, same spirit. Human spirit is the most damnable thing. 
if it's not changed by God. That is why the church is a place where the spirits of just men are made perfect. And here Paul writes in verse 2, he says, Men shall be lovers of their own self. It's one thing to love the world. It's one thing to love somebody that's not your spouse. It's one thing to love uh, sports and the worldly things out here. It's another thing to watch yourself in the mirror and you love yourself more than you love anything else. When you love yourself, you cannot be a disciple. Jesus said, if any man will be my disciple, stop loving self. What you want ain't important. Rise up early. Don't give self that extra hour to sleep. Rise up early and pray. Worship God. Serving God make, it demands a sacrifice. And that is what I've been preaching for the past 40 years here in Canada. And he says, lovers of their own self. And when you start to love yourself, you want what self wants. Self wants something. Self wants something else. And that is because they love themselves more than they love anything else. They say, I love God. Not really. You don't really love God. You love God, you love his servants. And if you love his servants, you would love the messages they preach. You would listen to the message over and over again. You would have a list of all the things that the pastor says that's remarkable. You know how many profound statements I've made over the past year that if it's recorded down and kept and said, Brother Singh said, you know people put statements and put a little person's name behind it? You know how many statements I've made? That if someone, I think Sister Pam at the back, she's got a lot of my statements. Uh, she take them, she go home and she write it down and she put them all in a book. Thank you, Sister Pam. I might never be able to see that for myself, but guess what? Someday it's going to be useful uh, to individuals. Because when I stand here, I believe God inspires me. But the closer you get to me, familiarity can breed contempt, especially if you're non-elect. When I say something, you should zip your mouth and listen. Whether it's in church or out of church. Because God has called me and touched my mind to present the message I present. I don't love myself more than anything else. Every day of my life, my body aches. I don't complain. I take it. When you see me limping, no, it's aching. When you see me almost limping, no, I'm pretending to be well and walk brisk. But I hurt and I, 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 I ache every day of my life. But if this is what God has called me to, I will preach the gospel. So a person cannot love themselves and be covetous and boasters and proud. You become a proud person. Proud of what? Well, I'm proud of my bank account. I'm proud of my retirement savings. I'm proud that my yard looks nice. I'm proud that my wife is good looking. I'm proud that my house is not just the ordinary house. You know, I'm so proud about... Are you proud about the church? Are you proud about the pastor? Are you proud about the word of God that's being preached? Paul says to Timothy, he says, Be not ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ, nor me, his servant. And Paul had some problems. I don't believe his vision was good. I believe most of the time someone had to write his letters for him because he couldn't see properly. 
There were times when Luke decided to accompany him because the physician decided to go with him because he was often sick. I wish I had a physician accompanying me because I'm often sick. And I still preach the gospel, but Paul is warning Timothy here. He says, this is what is going to happen. He says, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. And he goes on. He said, they will be traitors. Verse 4, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures. This is the reality. Do you love pleasures more than you love God? And I'm working every day, oh God, help me to love you more than I love myself. Help me, Lord, to love you more that in spite of how I feel, I can motivate myself to love you and do your work. That's what I pray. Every day, I ask God to give me strength to the end. And the Lord, I expect him to reward me. I don't expect the church to be full of people. No, rejection is a part of one's calling to the ministry. And so leave uh, Timothy and come all the way back to Ezekiel chapter 14. And so they came before Ezekiel and the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, these men have set their idols in their hearts. When you have individuals in the church and your men's staff in the church, and your women staff in the church that has made themselves little idols in their heart. You can't have dedicated people to the work of God. I worry about the future of the work of God every day. And as I age, I'm thinking by the time I reach 75, I must decide whether I need to keep this building because I can't maintain it and Brother Joe can't maintain it. I would not let my life go under because of a building. I would let my life go under because I preach the gospel. The building is not going to take my life. And I wish we had the kind of staff and responsible individuals in today's world that will call me and say, Pastor, you got anything for me to do at the church? And you know what I said about that? If that happens, snow will fall in August and... And, and here is what uh, the prophet was told. It says, uh, let me go back again, verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols in their hearts. And they put the stumbling block. That which they hold on to is going to hinder them in their relationship with God. They put their own stumbling block of their own misconception of how the church should operate before them. You see, iniquity is in the heart of every individual when you tend to want a service a certain way, contrary to what the pastor feels it should be done. The pastor that you have here is debating every day where he's coming from, and if my elders and leaders of the past where I'm coming from miss God, I can't afford to miss God like them. And there are things that the men of the past has given me that can never be replaced. The doctrine of the Godhead, the kingdom of God, the understanding the mortality of the soul, understanding the doctrine of hell. There are things that is given unto me that has formed the foundation in my life. 
But when I look back at some of the things they did, I don't believe if a whole church falling on the ground gets slain in the spirit that that's the Holy Ghost. I don't believe that. So whoever did that in the past, they can keep that in the past. I would never incorporate that in my church. Because in my heart, I believe in the doctrine, but I don't believe in all the practices we did in the past. If this whole church falls down and gets slain, and that's what you want, I'd leave the church. Find a church where demon operations, demonic possessions are not so rampant. I know Jesus said he'll give you rest, but that's not the rest that we're talking about. Do we make fresh covenants? Let's make some covenants and feel that God is going to move. It's not going to happen. Let's gather some tissues and lose some demons and spit in the tissues and see if that's going to happen. Listen, nothing is wrong in trying out things. But unless we get direction from God, the measurements that we might come up with might be our own measurements. And as a child of this fellowship, coming from the past, I must look back at the past and don't do everything that Paul did. I won't do everything that Moses did. I wouldn't do half the things that David did. Why should I follow everything that everybody else did in the past? No, I'm to give an account to God today for what I do. And that is important. What I do is important if that is what God wants. Because I could have my own stumbling block passed on to me. It stumbled other people and I wanted to stumble me. It's iniquity before their face. Should I inquire at all by them when a man can't even uh, be faithful to church? Should I expect him to give me direction and see what I need to do? Should I call a council meeting and says, okay, brothers and uh, saints, uh, you all tell me what is to be done? When you can't direct your own life, you can't give me advice for anything. And that's the plain fact that God is telling Ezekiel. He says, they can't help you. They got stumbling blocks in their hearts. Their perception of who is saved and who is not saved is flawed. Their concept of light and darkness, flawed. Their concept of how the work of God ought to be run, run is flawed. And that is why if when a pastor comes to the end of his life, if he does not have men with the same vision, the church will become like the church at Corinth. And so back here in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 1, we were looking at the wisdom of this world. No, I was at chapter 3. Uh, Paul says in verse 10, according to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder. And so we said wise does not mean the wisdom of this world. It means the wisdom of God. And so chapter 1 and verse 17, for Christ sent me not to Baptized, but to preach the gospel, not by wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. When the society, our Bible Institute, or some theological teachings in the fellowship uh, is what I stand here, and that's what has molded me and made me into a preacher. If I'm giving you what the organization has molded me to become, then... You are ruined. Because the cross of Christ and the power of God that should be manifested and maintained in our lives is lost because I'm there uh, leading you in the path 
of human direction rather than the Spirit of God leading us. And so Paul said in verse 17, he says, If God sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, that is this world's wisdom, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Uh, people that are just plain old educated and smart in the things that the world teaches, the preaching of the cross is like foolishness unto them. The plain gospel becomes foolishness unto them. And it says, But unto us which are saved, the, the cross of this message today, uh, you'll receive it as the power of God, as the word of God. That's what Paul told the church at Thessalonica. He says, When I preach... You received me as a servant of God, and my words was not just the words of a man, but the words of God. And that is why we call it the word of God. And so Paul went on here. He says, verse 19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise of this world. When the wisdom of the wise of this world comes on into the church, and that is being promoted, You've got to have a theological degree in order to preach the gospel. God does not want that in his church. God wants the power of God. Get the Holy Ghost. Be filled with the Spirit of God. And Paul was coming to that place of losing some of this. He says, um, where is the wise? Verse 20. Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God chose the foolish uh, with the wisdom, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? But after, the wisdom, but after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, their wisdom, failed to understand God's wisdom. See, you sit and as smart as a smart Alice or Alec in the church, trying to use your own theological understanding to judge me, you're already doomed. I don't need your approval to preach the gospel. I don't need a ban. I don't need an, a group of people to promote what I'm doing. I preach the gospel without any one of our, my fellow cohorts' help. I preach the gospel as I feel God wanted it preached. And he goes on here, and he says here, there's so much more about, I'm skipping some verses here, verse 24, but unto them which are called, both Jews, whether you're Jews or Gentiles, Christ becomes the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus genuinely operating in your life becomes the wisdom of God. And so Paul here in chapter 2, uh, he was talking about, he says, I came not to you with the excellency of speech, although with, uh, with, uh, with um, declaring unto you the testimony of God. He says, I was, verse 3, I was with you, in weakness, physical weakness, uh, Paul had. And in fear, that is the fear of God, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. <clears throat> he says, but in demonstration of the spirit and power of God. He says, that's what I did. I, I had to give up. And that's what he said in, in, in Philippians. He says, the things... That were gained to me, academic things that were gained to me as a Pharisee. He says, I had to give it up. I flushed it. I know I got your finger in Corinthians. 
in two places in Corinthians, but I'm back here in Philippians. In chapter 3 of Philippians, Paul says, he says uh, concerning, he says, I'm, I'm not just a novice. He says, uh, verse 4, though I have confidence in the flesh, that is, the carnal things that a man would boast. You see, I was not a dropout of school, and that's why I became a preacher. No, I was a school teacher when I was 16. I decided to skip grades so I can get early into the ministry. And so I skipped grades, and I wrote the exam before I was ready to write it. They limited me to four subjects GC because they said, you're too young to enter for any more. What I did, I went outside of the principal's uh, permission and enter for subjects outside of the principal's permission. And so I wrote exams and every subject I wrote, I passed. And so when I was 16, I applied for a job and I got a job as a pupil teacher, too young to teach and get the pay, even though you're more qualified than the master teachers they had. But I became a, and I was not a dropout, that's why I was a preacher. Now God called me. And so I counted some things were very valuable to me. And I, my desire to accomplish a lot of things in life, I give up for the sake of the gospel. And at 18, little over 18 years, I went full time into the ministry. I was never cajoled into going into the ministry. All of my friends were cajoled. They were encouraged to give up uh, their job and go full time. But I was one of the first ones that went full time, even though nobody ever thought I would. And God called me. That's why I went and I obeyed God. And my calling has, uh, proved, uh, has proven over the years that it was genuine. I appreciated every man that touched my life and helped me to come on to this day. And so Paul said, there were things that uh, were dear to him. He was already a trained Pharisee, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he called himself. He was a renowned Pharisee. And he said here, he says, verse 7 in Philippians, the third chapter, what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things, but loss, the prestige, the pomp, the education, the wisdom of this world, he counted loss for Christ. Because he realized Paul had to die and the Pharisee had to die that Christ becomes the most important factor in his life. And it was not the ability of Paul that was important. It was the power of the cross and the working of the Holy Ghost in his life and the Spirit of God in his life that was most important. Here is an example. There are examples in this Bible that we'll never be able to copy. He says, Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things, and do count them but dung. Uh, what Paul flushed, people hang on their walls. Preachers. I'm not talking about the doctor. The doctor need to put his stuff on the wall. But I'm talking about preachers that want to show you that man has approved me. I am so and so. Listen, if I had so and so, I'd flush it too. As a matter of fact, when I met Brother Goodwin, the first time I give him my credentials, I said, you got one more out of Babylon. He was collecting ordination cards. I give him my ordination card. I said, I don't need that. 
I'm not a part of the system. You can call yourself the body of Christ, but if the system has brainwashed you, you're a part of the system. You're a part of Babylon preaching uh, to the congregation and telling them to come out of Babylon. But we all have Babylon working in our lives and we need God to cleanse us. I've got a few minutes left, so let's move on here. And Paul says, I count it all but loss for the excellency of Christ. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made convertible, conformable unto his death. And so back here in Corinthians, uh, Paul is writing, and you know, I feel the Lord is giving us this lesson. And so when he says, I come not with the excellency of speech or with enticing words of man's wisdom, chapter 2 in 1 Corinthians verse 4, he says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. I am preaching, and if I'm preaching what the theological seminaries or something else has brainwashed me, and I'm teaching you your faith is in the wrong stuff. If what I'm preaching belongs to apostate Christianity, then your faith is an apostate Christianity. I can tell you come out of Babylon, but if I'm preaching to you that which Babylon has equipped me with, I am indoctrinating you and polluting your spirit rather than cleansing your spirit. Are you listening to me? And so Paul went on here. He says, how be it, verse um, uh, 6, how be it we speak the wisdom um, among them that are perfect, that is complete in God, and what not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world uh, that, that come uh, to naught. This is all of this come to naught. And so here in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, this that I'm sharing you to you now is the grace of God, Paul says. He says, <clears throat> I have laid the foundation. Now I know that the foundation Paul laid was not from the Pharisee organization. He said that earlier. He gave that up. The foundation that Paul was laying was that which he received from the Spirit of God and by the power of God. Where was the foundation laid? It is laid in the hearts of the people. Now listen to me very carefully. If you fail to listen to and incorporate the messages that I preach, you got a different foundation in your life that you need to root out. The message I preach need to form a foundation in your life. And when I preach this message and you listen to it and you study it, and you incorporate it in your life, it will remove and eradicate every other foundation. But you can sit here in this church for 20 years and still full of the old foundation that Babylon has laid in your life and you're not saved. You can be here unsaved, even though you're dressed like a Christian, you sing the songs of a Christian, but you belong out there. So when you die, you'll come under the judgment of God you will not be a part of the bride of Christ. So you know by tomorrow we'll talk about the bride of Christ if I feel led to do that. But Paul is telling the saints here, he says, I've laid a foundation in your heart. The foundation here that Paul laid was not Isaiah's foundation. He might have taken some from Isaiah and taken some from Jeremiah and taken some from the prophets of the Old Testament. 
But the foundation that Paul was laying, laying was what Christ had placed in his heart. And he was laying that in the lives. The foundation is in the lives of the people. My question is, who in my congregation has the foundation in their lives that I have laid? Who in this assembly, whether you're here physically or you're listening to us on the internet, has a foundation that I have laid in your life according to the grace of God which was given unto me? Paul says, as a wise master builder, I have laid that foundation. And if there are five hearts in this church that believe in the message that I preach and the foundation is laid in their hearts, those five would be saved and be able to survive after my departure. If not, if you got some old junk that was laid in your life and you still got that there and you're not cleansed from that, then you're a candidate. You've got idols that you need to remove out of your lives in order to be saved. So Paul said, I've laid the foundation. Verse 11. Other, no other, other, no other foundation can any man lay in your life uh, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As I preach the gospel, and God has raised me up to preach the gospel, and this is laid in your life, you can't just go get somebody else to tear up that foundation and build in your life. The reason why people are, are fickle is that the hearts were never open up to the foundation that I was planting in their lives. They had never dug deep enough for the foundation to be placed in their lives. So any storm and wind of doctrine can rock their boat and toss their ship. See, I'm here and a man laid a foundation in my life. I'm unshakable. So what do I do? Brother Goodwin is gone. So what do I do? Go follow him. Sit at his grave and listen to him speak to me. No, he's gone. And one of the most remarkable things we had after Brother Goodwin passed away was Nadine sitting here. She had a dream. And she dreamt we had a meeting going on. You know, dreams have led me a lot of times. And she dreamt we had a meeting going on. And some of the ministers got Brother Goodwin's corpse and they hold it behind the pulpit while they're playing his tape in the background. When Paul was there, as a matter of fact, when John the Baptist came to, on the scene, he was a man sent from God. The Pharisees need to stop following Moses. They need to listen to the message John preached. Well, he's not very educated. That man does not even dress like a priest. He's the son of a priest, but he doesn't look like one. Well, he only has repent and be baptized. That's the message God wanted to be preached. <clears throat> so the Pharisees were blind, even though they were educated. And a lot of individuals are blind to reality when they're brainwashed with traditionalism. We must come to earth and live today and embrace what God is giving us today in order to face the evils tomorrow. 
God will not judge you based on what they did yesterday. He will judge you as to your response to the message I preach today. And guess what? I'm not bothered about who accepted or who don't accept it because you are, have to give an account to God for yourself. I got five minutes more I want to talk. And uh, here in, uh, in Paul says, I've laid a foundation. He says, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. And if any man build on this foundation, on the foundation he has laid, whether it's gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hair, stubble, every man's work will be tried. See, if I die and I'm gone, anyone that takes over, their work will be tried. And God will see if they have, they're building on the same foundation or they're building their own foundation. And so it is important that we understand how the work of God goes on. And so here in Acts 20, isn't that where we started? In Acts the 20th chapter, uh, Paul had spent the time in the church at Ephesus and had laid a foundation in the hearts of the people. The people had a foundation that the polis had placed, which was not really a foundation. It was like mud. They did not even know there was a Holy Ghost. Apollos did not build anything in Ephesus. Paul had to undo what Apollos did. And that is why when God sent Jeremiah, he says, when you go in there, I want you to pull out. I want you to root up. I want you to throw down, and then I want you to build. And so Paul, when he got to Ephesus, he had to root up and pull up and throw down what Apollos had done in order to build the people and lead them on in God. And sometimes we need to do that. We need to pull up traditions that are not ordained by God because it will lead into the working of iniquity. And so when Paul did all of this, he came to that position in life that the city says, we don't want this man. Our trade, our idols are not being sold anymore because he's against it. He's against all these things in the city that we operate by. And we're in the city here also. And if God ever... So ever, ever in the future, touch my mind, and I get some tangible direction from God, I would not be afraid to preach against anything. I don't want to go out of my zeal and run before uh, without getting the message, but I want God. If God gives me permission to preach about it against the sin that's in this city, I will preach it whether they close the church down or whatever. I'll preach the gospel because I want my eternal reward to be solid. And so when they exiled Paul from the city, he came one day and he wanted to see the elders of Ephesus. So he sent a message on to them and tell them to meet him at a place called Three Taverns. And when he met with them, he sat down and started to talk. And these men were there and they were some good men in Ephesus. And there were some apostles which were false in Ephesus. But Paul said here to these men in Ephesus, he says, Behold, <clears throat> let me see, I don't want everything because of time. He talks about the Holy Ghost here, how he was bound in verse 22, chapter 20. Coming down, he says, verse 28, Take heed therefore unto yourselves. Um, I want, is there a verse where he says, I'm free from the blood of all men? Uh, here in verse 26, wherefore I take your record this day. 
I take you record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. That's in Ephesus. As I stand here preaching to this congregation, everyone has been in this church for over 10 years. I'm free from your blood. I preached every single message that God wanted me, wanted me to preach. I'm free from the blood. You want to backslide? You want to stay home? You want to go contrary? I'm free from your blood. I'm sorry for you, but I'm free from your blood. What you do is your responsibility. You want to hold the fire? Go ahead. Suit yourself. And Paul says to these men, he had to tell them this. He says, I'm free from the blood of all men. In verse 26, he says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you how much? All the counsel of God. I've told this assembly over 40 years everything you need to know. Over the past year and a half that COVID started, you can be saved if you go back to lesson number one and follow all the lessons I've taught this church uh, since COVID started from March 2000. Uh, March 2000 to the present date. If you go back and check all those messages and listen to them and incorporate them in your life, they will save you. If not, I'm free from your blood. And today with the technology we have, the greater we have is the greater the judgment of God will fall on us. To him, to him that is given much, much is required. See, the Word of God is not treated like the Word of God. It's treated like something we don't really care to have. But there are a few people, maybe not in this assembly only, but a few other places. And ever so often I get a message of someone telling me, uh, Brother Singh, someone uh, from a different country telling me. And I've got, uh, some, this morning I was looking at some of that. Write a note and tell me, thank you for the messages. I listened to them over and over and over. And I said, oh God, I got people here that has all the technology and they don't listen to it not even one time for the second time. And it said, the person said, and my husband is being uh, influenced by it. And that is so wonderful to hear that. Uh, to hear a simple thing. You know, one day I felt like putting a song on the internet that I sung years ago. Do you know, I've heard people saying that that song, they listen to it and has really touched their lives. One more valley. Listen to that song and has challenged their lives. Why did I? I'm not a singer. I don't even play in the right key sometimes. But you know what? I don't care about the right key. I care about the spirit of what is done. In what spirit it is done and God can save individuals. And Paul says, he says, uh, he says, I've not, uh, I bear you record this day, I'm pure from the blood of all men. For I've not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers and feed the church which he, the Lord, has purchased with his own blood. May God help us. That we don't treat this word of God that's preached here in Mississauga lightly. God has called me to preach the gospel. And if one day I was your teacher, don't give it up easy. Don't feel now you can teach the teacher. Learn to have a meek and humble spirit. And an ear that is open to understanding and learning from God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...
the way you've helped us here today in this service. And we pray, Father, uh, that you would continue to help us, Father. May these words that I've shared with the people today be an influence in their lives that can change their lives, Father, I pray. God, save us. Save your people. Let us pay heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time we let them slip. Oh, Lord, today, if we hear his, your voice, help us not to harden our hearts, but to be obedient to the voice of the Spirit. Lord, it's not by might, human might, human excellence, but it's by your Spirit. And we pray that your Spirit will guide and lead us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen and amen. And praise his name. Amen.